Hi, I'm Isa Kwonga. And I'm Ryan Hun. And we co-host Stadio, a football podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. If you like soccer or football, make sure you search for Stadio, a football podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's Feud, Capote versus the Swans. The second installment in Ryan Murphy's Feud anthology tells the story of acclaimed writer Truman Capote, once a confidant to society's most elite women, whom he nicknamed the Swans. Starring Naomi Watts, Diane Lane, Chloe Sevigny, Calista Flockhart, Demi Moore, Molly Ringwald, and Tom Hollander. For your Emmy consideration, visit fxnetworks.com FYC. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. It is Friday, November 18th. In Hollywood, the holiday season means the award season really kicks into high gear. Premieres, screenings, receptions for the major guilds like actors, directors, writers, campaign events masquerading as holiday parties. It's an Oscars industrial complex, and millions are spent just to get awards voters to actually see the movies. One guy who's seen everything is Scott Feinberg, my former colleague at The Hollywood Reporter, who writes what's called the Feinberg Forecast, his predictions of what will get nominated. He's talking to voters all day long, and he's got a pretty good sense of what's getting traction with them. So I thought now would be a good time to check in with him on the awards season movies, plus some bigger picture issues, like what's going on with the Will Smith movie, Emancipation, whether Top Gun Maverick has a shot at Best Picture, a three-hour Brad Pitt and Margot Robbie orgy movie, Babylon. Is that a contender? My usual caveat here, I'm not a critic. I don't even have particularly good taste, as Craig will attest. I do, after 14 years as an editor at The Hollywood Reporter, evaluating and watching these movies pretty closely, have a good sense of what resonates and doesn't with the awards voters, a particular group of about 10,000 or so members that vote on the Oscars, thousands more that vote on the other Guild Awards that are precursor events. So today, it's Scott Feinberg, and an awards season update. From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Scott Feinberg of The Hollywood Reporter. Scott, how are you? Good, good to see you. Scott is the author, among many things, of The Feinberg Forecast, which is a periodic update on who is likely going to be nominated for Oscars. Uh, you have a pretty good track record of this, and you see everything, often very early. And you have been prognosticating lately. I'm proud to say we are debuting your latest update on the race, which we'll post on Monday. And I want to just go through the Oscar race here and get your take on where it stands at this point. Because you've seen everything except the Avatar sequel, correct? Yes, I, I think that's fair to say. All right, so I'm just going to go through and then we'll discuss. So you've got The Fablemans, the Spielberg movie. You've got Top Gun Maverick. We'll talk about that. You've got The Banshees of Inisherin. You've got Women Talking. Everywhere, everywhere, everything. <laughs> I have a long history of mispronouncing this movie's name. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Tar, Elvis, Emancipation, The Woman King, and Babylon. Uh, first off, you really think that Top Gun is going to get in there? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think we have to remember that 
the way that Oscar voting works is people from across the branches of the academy get to weigh in on only really one category where they all have right. a Everybody votes on Best Picture. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think that this movie is such a phenomenal box office success, but also critical. And everyone saw it, had a good time, still seeing it, talking about it. Yeah, it brought people back to the movies. And I, and I do think that when voters vote, and we can debate this, mm-hmm. when voters vote, they do have other things in their head besides the fact that they liked or didn't like a movie. They often will vote where it's, what does this movie say about me and my preferences and what I what kind of movies I think Hollywood should be making? And they often will vote based on the business. This movie did a ton for the movie business this year. And I think people are rooting for it. Yeah, and and it's look, it's great filmmaking. It doesn't. It maybe is not as. Uh, yeah, but great filmmaking in this genre often does not. If this were 2019, and Top Gun Maverick did a billion whatever worldwide, it would not be nominated. I think this year, because of all the problems in the movie business, because there is such a desire for stars and what does what do movie stars even mean anymore. And that the saga of this movie almost went to streaming and they held it back. And and it really just showed the power of the blockbuster to bring people back to movies. I think that's the reason they'll get nominated. It's definitely going to be a contributing factor. And the other factor here is that very few of these movies are, are movies that people really universally agree about. There are a lot of polarizing movies here, whether it's everything everywhere all at once which some people love and some people just don't get it all but that one was a huge hit also i think it's hard to argue with box office in that sense well the, the, the academy actually has a good problem this year because they have so many commercial movies that have a plausible shot which they have not had in recent years so you've got top gun you've got everything everywhere all at once the highest grossing movie in a24's history you've got potentially wakanda forever elvis and just numerous numerous giant movies and we'll see what avatar ends up being right that one could get in there as well the first one i don't think people realize now the first one got a ton of oscar nominations and was really down to that to avatar and the hurt locker as the two front runners at the end and a lot of people thought avatar would win sure and you talk about outside factors that can tip things one way or the other you had the in the directing race which generally corresponds often corresponds with with picture you had the directors of those two films who happened to formerly be married and right. Jim Cameron and Catherine Bigelow. Yeah. And, and it was kind of hard to resist that you now had potentially the first female best director winner ever. And she did end up winning. Right. Okay. So you think Top Gun's in, uh, I, I wonder about Babylon. Now you've seen this movie. It's a three hour, you know, uh, how would you describe it? I'll let you describe it. Uh, I mean, I guess it's a an orgy of of everything, you know. Of excess, directed yeah. by Damien Chazelle, who did Whiplash, La La Land, and I mean Brad Pitt, Margot Robbie, Tobey Maguire, and a new guy, Diego Calvo, and it's uh, sort of a, a bringing to life Hollywood's early days, you know, around the period of silence going into talkies and based on real people who were around at that time, uh, looking at, at what was going on. There were a lot of tragedies. There was a lot of fun. There was a lot of craziness. And I look, I love, I live for film history. So for me, I think I am predisposed to like it as much as anybody. 
and I, I really did, but it is too long. Yeah, I, I wish it wasn't as long. Craig's really looking forward to Babylon. Um, I'm a little more skeptical on that one. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, but let's talk about the Oscar voters because they tend to endorse movies about Hollywood. Sure. And, you know, this year they've got three that are being positioned as odes to the power of cinema. You've got The Fablemans, the Spielberg movie, which is basically his childhood and growing up in Arizona and California and trying to make movies. We've got the Sam Mendes movie, Empire of Light, which is also kind of this ode to cinema in the UK. Uh, then we've got Babylon, which is literally about the early days of Hollywood. And, you know, there's there's Armageddon. No, no, no. What, is there another one that gets into this? In a way, you could include Bardo, which is the uh, uh, Inyaritu. I mean, everybody. You're oh, not, you're, Alejandro Inyaritu's movie. Yeah, you're not cool anymore unless you've made a movie about your early years falling in love with movies as a filmmaker. So, uh, See, that's insufferable to me. Yeah. That it, like it could be done well. The Fablemans has done really well, and Spielberg's a genius. But does a mainstream audience want to see something that is about how great movies are? We'll see. I mean, that one's platforming. But I'll tell you what: the Academy is not a mainstream audience. They have. I their- know. I know. It just gets into this critique of the Academy and the Oscars in general, which you know a lot of people just think they have their heads up their own asses. Yeah, it's so insular now. The, the the Academy voters so often now are not nominating movies that resonate with the general public. It's a real problem, and I know a lot of voters recognize it's a real problem, but they sort of feel powerless to do anything about it. Matt, what are they supposed to do? Nominate Paul Blart? I mean, it's not you, no, you, but they're supposed to nominate movies that at least the general public has seen, like. I think they look at the box office and they look at something like everything everywhere and say, okay, well, this is a little bit out there, but it resonated. It found an audience. Top Gun's a perfect example. Wakanda is good enough as a sequel. Like maybe that should get in there. And it might. I kind of disagree with you because I think once you're in the privacy of your own home, the vast majority of people vote for whatever they want, not what they think they should do to help the business or the Oscars or whatever. I I think that everyone's kind of self-absorbed and that's a way of manifesting it i think they are but i think a lot of this other stuff seeps into the way that voters think they think about what it says about the business they think about the success at the box office something like elvis probably would not be in the conversation if it hadn't done almost 300 million dollars worldwide something like everything everywhere probably would not be considered the front runner it is if it didn't succeed. So there is an element of the business that comes into the thinking of these voters and also what they as a member of this community think the best foot forward is, what their vote says about themselves as someone who makes movies, what makes them feel good about themselves. Yeah. Well, I'll grant you, I think it's probably, it's certainly more of a consideration at the nomination stage. Once you get to the next round of voting and you're picking winners, people just absolutely vote for what they like it's not that's how we were together the the COVID oscars when everyone thought chadwick boseman was gonna win and and uh anthony hopkins won that was if, if you're thinking about uh commercial import or whatever that doesn't happen so i think though for nominations it's certainly going to be more of a consideration than it is for for the finals yeah i just uh if it comes down to two choices top gun maverick and the fablemans that's a tough one because I'm assuming the Fablemans is not going to break records at the box office, even though it's Spielberg. The early numbers were not great. 
And then you're going to have one of the most successful movies of all time, potentially up against it. And I think the business stuff does come into play. The movie business is struggling. This is a challenged business. And if the Oscar voters keep putting their heads in the sand and voting for movies that nobody's seen, they're only making it worse. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. What's the wild card here? What's something that maybe people are sleeping on that could be a real contender? I think the wild card is Emancipation, which, by the way, if it gets nominated, Will Smith is nominated as a producer, too. So whether he... I'm not able to really talk about... Yeah, so you have seen Emancipation, but you are embargoed and you are not allowed to tell us whether you liked it or not. Um, I, I, I know people who have seen it as well. Um, I, they say it's great, but it's, you know, it's got the Will Smith problem. You think he'll be nominated personally as an actor? I think it's very possible because the best actor category is very thin. And also if there's one thing that people love more than seeing a famous person crash and burn, it's seeing their resurrection. And uh, look, you didn't, you don't become as huge a movie star as Will Smith did without a lot of people liking you. And yeah, I think they, there were absolutely justified bad feelings towards him after what he did. But again, hypothetically speaking here, what if he gives the best performance of his life? And a lot of people are just not good. We've polled Academy members for an article. Uh, there are a lot of people who say no matter how great he is, they're not voting for him, but they won't hold it against the movie uh, and anyone else associated with it. But when you're struggling to come up with five nominees for best actor, you know, it's the people who are who are upset about Will Smith are more likely to speak out about it than the people who are feeling that they should move on with their lives. Yeah, it's crazy. Just to recap, he can be nominated. He cannot attend the Oscars. He resigned his membership and he was banned for 10 years for slapping Chris Rock in uh, in March. But it would be absolutely hilarious if he wins the year after he just, you know, brings uh, makes the Oscars a complete laughing stock. But uh, we'll see. You mentioned that actor category and it being weak this year. You have as your front runners Brendan Fraser for yeah. The Whale. That is the Darren Aronofsky movie where he plays a 400 pound man 600 pound man sorry yes uh, i didn't want to understate his weight gain uh austin butler <laughs> hold from on hold Elvis. on he didn't actually gain he didn't actually go up to 600 pounds he uh was wearing a fat suit but oh he was i thought he actually not he, i don't think he gained that much i thought he gained a lot of weight though i think he gained a lot of weight in, in life and, and then they added on to it. Uh, yeah. You can't, you can't gain 600 pounds. You can't be that big, but look, um, you know, Brendan Fraser, it's a, kind of an irresistible narrative. He was always a well-liked guy. And then he disappeared because of a variety of reasons and has now been given a part that he's 
great in. And, you know, the thing that I kind of find most amusing is that it's Darren Aronofsky kind of almost beat for beat returning to the model of the wrestler, but with a slightly more likable actor because you right. have the wrestler was Mickey Rourke about 10 years ago playing the, playing the wrestler guy. Yeah. Well, so a guy that's basically uh, facing the potential of his demise who wants to make peace with his daughter before it's too late. And, uh, and cast the cast an actor who sort of has, has been in a, in a sense as the lead. And then, they could do a great job and get nominated for best actor. So look, I think Although, that, remember Mickey Rourke ended up losing to Sean Penn. He did not win. But I think that's why I'm saying, I think Brendan Fraser is a little less prickly than yeah. Rourke and people are rooting for him. Fun fact about Mickey Rourke. When he did the Hollywood reporter actor roundtable that year, he not only brought his dog who ended up peeing on the carpet of the Beverly Hilton. He, he could not last an entire hour without smoking a cigarette. So we had to shut down the roundtable taping so that he could go outside and smoke a cigarette in the middle. That was that was the first and last time that happened. Very talented man, <laughs> but I, there might be a reason working much. So you've got Brendan Fraser, you've got Austin Butler for Elvis, you've got Colin Farrell for the Banshees of Inisherin. Um, you've got Tom Cruise in there for Top Gun, and then you've got Gabriel LaBelle, who plays the young Spielberg character in The Fablemans. Um, interesting Cruz. You really think Cruz is going to get in there? I think it's very possible. And I, I, you know, people were, were ridiculing the idea when I first, when the movie first came out and I, I said, I could see that happening, but I do think that, um, there is a thing. And this is also why, at least for the time being, I have Gabriel LaBelle who plays the young Spielberg in the Fablemans. Why I have him getting in is that especially as the Academy has gotten larger, you have more young, you have younger and active people who are not able to watch as many movies as retirees. And so they are voting, having seen fewer movies and pick from their other categories from the movies they've seen, which is just logical. And so these are movies that everyone's going to have seen. These guys are central to the movie. So if you like the movie, I don't know how you don't like these guys. And uh, also, again, there's not a ton of alternatives. There are some cool uh, wild cards like, you know, Netflix is going really hard for Adam Sandler in this movie Hustle. You've got, again, Will Smith. We'll see how people feel about that. But um, but there are not five obvious candidates. Cruz would be great. I still can't believe Cruz has never won an Oscar. Yeah. He's done the Oscar bait roles over the years. You know, Born on the Fourth of July and the Magnolia role and all these things. And he's been nominated. He just has never gone over the top. I think the closest he probably got was was for Born on the Fourth of July. For that was like the movie came out in '89, the Oscars were in '90, and he lost to Daniel Day Lewis. That's the problem. He just when he's been great, he's come up against somebody who was kind of undeniable. So you believe that this is a a, a weak year for actors? Definitely. I think the three that you can pretty much take to the bank are Frazier, Butler, who's sort of the Rami Malek of of this season. Just a. <laughs> You're talking about uh, from the the Queen movie. Bohemian Rhapsody, where yeah. it's a young guy. He's kind of a breakthrough. It's a big hit movie. Everybody's excited to meet the guy. Uh, he'll go out. He'll go to the opening of an envelope. And, you know, to the extent that he, he can. That's and the Eddie Redmayne Award for the most egregious campaigning of the Oscar season. But the in year- fact, like Austin's <laughs> actually been working a lot. So in No, of- I know. The yeah. year that Eddie Redmayne won for Theory of Everything, literally that guy, I swear he followed me home at night. <laughs> he he was everywhere. Hey, it worked. It worked. It I worked, mean, and then he got Fantastic Beast, which p- paid him a lot of money, so it did work. That's right. And then Colin Farrell, people, there's another guy who 
has never really been in the Oscar conversation. I mean, there are people that love things he's done, like in Bruges or different other things, but it was never a real possibility until now. And I think he's he's in a movie that critics absolutely love. He's very good in it. It's a weird movie, so I don't, you know. I liked it. Craig, you liked it too, right? Yeah, I did. Okay. Yeah. I mean, and I feel like Colin Farrell is sort of aging into a more interesting actor. He doesn't have that pretty face anymore. And uh, it definitely works in this movie. I think so. Uh, all right. So, and then of course the Will Smith wild card, he could get in there. And I, I, I am actually going to say, I believe Will Smith will be nominated. I think once people start to see the movie and, yeah. and I, and I, and I, I hate to make predictions when I haven't seen it. And I know you can't talk about it, but I do think that he will get in. I don't think he'll win, though. I don't think he'll win. No way. He's not. He's not going to win two years in a row. But uh, even if he hadn't had his extenuating circumstances, but uh, but I do think that it's it's very possible that he'll get nominated. Okay. And then in the actress category, let's go through them. Yeah, I mean, here's an example of the exact opposite, where you have too many strong options. You know, there are just which is unusual. Normally, we're always saying like where are the great roles for women? The men get all like all the opportunities this year. There are just tons of, of great female lead performances. All right. So let's go through your top tier here. You've got Kate Blanchett for tar. You've got Michelle Yeoh for everything, everywhere, all at once. You've got Michelle Williams in the Fablemans. You've got Daniel Deadweiler in a movie called till. Mm-hmm. And then you've got Viola Davis in the woman King with a possible wild card of Mar- Margot Robbie in Babylon. Yeah. So who's Kate Blanchett's got to be the front runner, right? Or is it Michelle Yeoh? It's it's I think fairly neck and neck there because Kate Blanchett is incredible in this movie, but um, she's won twice before. She, including quite recently, and uh, and she is in a, a. I mean, they're both in quite polarizing movies, but I think um, you know Kate Blanchett is is they're both. They're both the absolute center of their movies, which is often not, you know, unfortunately, this category, it's often like the dutiful wife or the, you know, whatever. These are these are movies built around their characters. And to an extent, that's true also of Michelle Williams in The Fablemans, even though it's ostensibly about Spielberg's uh, formation as a as yeah, she a, has the best arc. She has the best arc. The argument there, which has been, you know, a lot of people have been fired up about is it's a it's it's a smaller role than some of these others that we're talking about. And there was an assumption that she would be in the supporting actress category where she would have cruised to a win. And, but for, for various reasons, which she'll have to explain, she wanted to go lead. And why did she do that? Because there's not another big female role in that movie. I think that you'd have to put her under truth serum to, to (laughs) her, but I think part of it I'm sure is that look, it's, it's she's been nominated in the supporting actress category before with Brokeback Mountain and other things. And I think, you know, especially as you get older in this business, if you're seen as a supporting actress, that's not always helpful if you want to be getting leading roles. So, ah, that's interesting. So she's going for lead because it's better for her career, essentially. I think that's part of it. And I think also that Fableman's, uh, the you know, team Fableman's probably sees an option, uh, an opportunity there where. Um, you know, she's good, really good and, and can probably get in. And like, that is again, a less polarizing movie than either tar or everything everywhere all at once. It's interesting. The category gaming, because I saw on, she said the Harvey Weinstein movie that Carrie Mulligan is in supporting for playing Megan Toohey and Zoe Kazan is in lead 
for playing Jody Cantor. And I've seen the movie. They are in it pretty much exactly the same amount. That's my feeling. And I'm I'm not sure that uh, Jody or Megan would would feel that one worked harder than the other on on breaking that case. So uh, also, Carrie Mulligan's a bigger star than Zoe Kazan. So what's going on there? Again, I can't read minds, but I would say I would speculate that it's going to be a lot harder for either one of them, let alone both, to penetrate into the lead actress category than in the supporting actress category. So I think if you had the ability to go supporting, you would have a better shot at getting nominated. No, I know that I know why they split. It's just interesting that Carrie Mulligan agreed to take the supporting. Well, no, but I route. mean, when you say agreed, I think she may be the one who comes out of this better because she's actually got a shot. Oh, because she has a better shot to get nominated there. So they put the bigger star there. That's interesting. I think so. By the way, how are the events so far? Are we back to normal? Are there the same amount of parties and screenings and panels and campaign events as we saw pre-pandemic? Or is it still lesser? I, I mean, you're out at a lot of stuff, too. I think it's it's getting there, if not all the way back. But It's um, kind of back. Yeah. Craig and I went to the Knives Out 2 premiere the other night. And it was nice. You know, it was a normal, normal premiere. Um, they did it at the Academy Museum, which is like the premier event place now. Yeah. Um, and, you know, but I just I just wonder about the the lunches and the, you know, come and meet Eddie Redmayne in, you know, uh, Bob Evans' backyard, that kind of stuff. <laughs> well, I think the I think the volume often correlates with the sense of like how much you need to do to to guarantee yourself or, or you know, you know, give yourself a, a better shot. If it's if it's a wide open race, like a lot of these are you do more. And so I do think that um, given that it is pretty, uh, not a ton of movies are locked for best picture and you've got now a guaranteed 10 slots, I think that people are inclined to, to do more. Right, right. The weird thing is that aside from Glass Onion, that's that's really Netflix's best picture play. I guess they would argue maybe Pinocchio, but I mean, right now that's not, I, I, I think that's not a slam dunk at all for picture nomination. So Netflix is potentially not in the, best picture race to the extent of these others but you have all these other big studios in there that have been missing in recent years you've got universal paramount disney sony with woman king yeah no it's interesting it's more traditional oscar race i'm looking at your front runners and there's neither netflix nor amazon amazon's also been a big player over the past few years and that's a big change not having either of those we do have emancipation from apple but yeah. um the streamers are less represented this year well, and I think part of that is it was it was certainly not for lack of effort. I mean, Netflix has had a, a bunch of these that were with filmmakers who have Oscar track records that just didn't pan out this year. So, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be weird to have potentially a best picture field without a streaming movie. Uh, but again, Glass Onion, they're trying really hard, uh, and Emancipation, they're go they're going to try really hard. So, again, it's it's another reason why these these folks would be doing things and events and campaigning that because it, it might actually move the needle. I think this is existential moment time for the Oscars. It is a do or die. If they, these movies that get nominated this year are not populist movies that people have seen. And it's yet again, another parade of Indies where people don't even have any connection to the awards at a time when there are many popular movies out there that could get nominated then it is a death spiral that this award show is on borrowed time. Yeah, I mean it's not it won't be won't be good if they can't get a big jump in ratings this year. Uh, you know, and they do have Jimmy Kimmel lined up, which is 
I think, a positive thing. You have very good producers of the show who are, I believe, committed for multiple years. And so you just hope that they can get their act together. And I am confident that the new leadership of the Academy, Bill Kramer's CEO, Janet Yang's the president, both are new, seem to be very open to trying. Oh, they to- know they have a problem. They yeah. know it. Unlike the previous leadership, they really want to do something about this, but we'll see if they can effectuate change. It's very tough. This organization yeah. has real problems and it is very divided and it has a 54 person board of governors that can rarely agree on anything. Right. All right. right. We will check in. We will check back in with you later in the season, Scott, to see how your Feinberg forecast is shaping up. Appreciate you coming on. Thank you. All right. We are back with the call sheet. My daily prediction, Craig, a couple of movies opening this weekend. We've got the menu, which is that Ray Fiennes kind of comedy is it horror? Is it, I mean, there's elements of... It's, I think it's described as comedy horror. Comedy horror. Yeah, Mark Myla directed it. Yeah. Right, the succession guy. And then there is She Said, which is the Harvey Weinstein movie based on the New York Times reporter's book about how they exposed him. Uh, I've seen She Said. I have not seen The Menu. And The Menu tracking is at about $10 million. Um, I th- don't think it's going to get there. I, my prediction is it'll be lower, under $10 million. And the She Said tracking is about $5 million. And I think that also will not get there. The interesting one to me is she said, this is a $32 million movie that is based on the hunt for Harvey Weinstein. I just don't know who this movie is for. I can't understand how it got made. And I saw it and I liked it. It's a good journalism movie. But I wonder why this movie happened. What, expand on that. Why why couldn't it be successful? Why why couldn't it be made? It, doesn't it fall in the same vein as like a spotlight for a, a journalism it's movie about spotlight. people uncovering a story? Spotlight was about the Catholic Church, a revered global institution that was covering up this horrible behavior. Harvey Weinstein is you know a Hollywood producer. Most general movie audiences probably assumed he was a creep, right? And he's not in the movie at all. They don't include him. So it's really about unmasking this evil guy that the audience kind of probably already knew was evil. Yeah, but everybody already knew the Catholic Church was not the most respected entity. But But it was more interesting to see this big entity go down like this. I just feel like the stakes are a lot lower. And also, like, there's stuff in the new, like, Harvey's on trial again in L.A. right now. So like yeah. you're just kind of trying to people are trying to avoid those headlines. Uh, I just I don't I, there's an ick factor to it all, and it's also not a very visual movie. Like you you wonder if the whole thing couldn't have just been a podcast because it's it's a very interesting hunt for how they found sources to expose him. But maybe I'm biased because I've read all the books, I've read everything. I was involved. Literally, a story I worked on is in the movie. Like they talk about a, a, a Hollywood Reporter story I worked on. So like the market is very saturated on Harvey Weinstein stories. Yes, that is my point. And I just don't I don't think there is an audience for this, especially in theaters. This is like, hey, honey, you want to go out on a Friday night and see the Harvey Weinstein movie? True. So you're taking the under on five million. I am taking the under. Yes. Um, all right. And that is the show for today. I want to thank Scott Feinberg for coming on. I want to thank producer Craig Holbeck. And I want to thank you. We will see you on Monday. 
This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.